the Lord is calling the church uh, back to the standard of his word. There are so many things we talk about in church, so many topics, so many things, uh, but uh, we need to get back to the root of the word of God. And so uh, we're grateful that we have this opportunity uh, each Monday night to come together and just spend some time together in the word of God. So let's go to the word, uh, John chapter 17, uh, and we'll start at verse 9, uh, and I'll read through verse 23. So John 17, 9 through 23, Jesus giving what we uh, call the high priestly prayer uh, shortly before he would go to the cross. John 17, starting at verse 9, he's praying. He says to the Father, I pray for them meaning his disciples. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them, keep them through your name, those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those who you gave to me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they may also be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Uh, he knows he's going back to the Father, uh, and, and he's praying this prayer of unity. He is praying for unity of the believers. He's talking about unity himself, that he's going to be reunited with the Father, uh, with the glory that they shared before the world began. And now he's praying for unity of the believers, unity of what will be his body, the church. Uh, and so if, if we were to um, try to choose a starting point for this, uh, then, then I would say the first point uh, is uh, with the notion of unity, being a priority for God, is that unity is something that is providential. It's providential. What do we mean by that? Uh, simply, 
uh, that it is it is of God. It, it is related to God. Let's let's jump to Genesis chapter twelve and talk about the call of then Abram, but uh, now Abraham. Genesis twelve one through three. Now the Lord had said to Abram, "Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great." and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So looking back at the call of Abraham, uh, we, we see this uh, notion of unity right there. We see it because God is saying to Abraham, through you, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. Abraham is going to be this unifying figure of all the nations in the world, not really Abraham, of course, but really his seed uh, that would go Isaac, Jacob, uh, down the line uh, to the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus, uh, our Lord. Uh, and so uh, in, in the call of Abraham, we see God reinforcing this notion of unity. He is going to use uh, the, the line of Abraham to unify the people of the earth through the Messiah. Uh, the next, let's look at uh, Jesus and uh, when when he was conceived here on earth. Let's go to Luke chapter 1, and we'll go verses 26 through 35. It's going to be now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One is born will be called the son of god so we see uh in jesus's um earthly uh, creation his his conception we see the father working through the spirit to bring forth the son so so unity of the godhead itself father son holy spirit uh is is something that we cannot escape uh it is it is the very nature of God. It's the very essence of who God is. He is unified in himself. And so we see that even uh, in the pre-church age, way, way, way in the beginning, unity is God and unity has been something on his heart. Hallelujah. So uh, let's, let's jump now a bit to um, what we'll call the present church age. Uh, we see unity as, um, as as something on God's heart. 
in the pre-church age, providential, and also still in God's heart uh, in the present church age. So when we talk about the present church age, of course, we talk about that time really from the day of Pentecost after Jesus uh, had been resurrected and ascended to heaven. But the day of Pentecost uh, that, that came after that, that's really what we uh, know as the birthday of the church. Of course, back in Matthew 16, uh, Jesus used the word church uh, for the first time. Uh, and, and he said, you know, upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. But the church itself uh, did not really um, come into creation until Jesus was glorified, uh, risen from the dead, and then uh, glorified and ascends to heaven. He's there. And on that day of Pentecost, when he sends the Holy Spirit, that's really uh, what we call the birthday of the church, when the church was empowered to carry out the great commission that Jesus has given. Uh, so uh, that's the present church age. Let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 2. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Mm, there's unity. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There then appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors, from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So uh, that, that day that ushered in this present church age, God was revealing that unity was on his heart. He was basically saying, okay, the people... Uh, in that room that day, in the upper room, they were all together. They were unified. They were with one accord. They were unified. They were together. On that day, God was expressing the beauty of unity, that it was something significant. Uh, and and it, was, it was an environment that was inviting his power. We'll talk about it being powerful later. Uh, but, but unity uh, of the believers there, uh, and then we see that uh, th there's another instance of unity because all of these people start hearing the wonderful acts of God in their own languages. You know, these were these were not all just Jews. Yes, there were. It says that there were in Jerusalem Jews from every nation under heaven, but it also says that there were proselytes. There were there were people who were not born Jews. There were other people there. There were Gentiles there. And all of them, when the when the Spirit was giving utterance, and there were there were tongues being spoken, they could all hear about the wonderful works of God in their own tongue. 
So, so the people were experiencing God's um, expression of the importance of unity, different languages, yet one common message, the wonderful acts of God, the powerful acts of God. God is showing at very critical times that unity is in his heart, unity is on his mind, unity is providential. If we uh, were to look in um, some other scriptures, we don't have time for everything tonight, but uh, just for your notes, um, in the present church aid, I could also point to uh, the Pauline writings, Paul's epistles, uh, mainly Ephesians and Galatians, but uh, in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, actually, why don't we we'll read that, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, that'll be a good one to read. Paul's writing from prison, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you're called, with all lowliness and gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Let's go to verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edification of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There is, um, I think, a tendency today uh, to, to really focus on the disunity of the church, and we are going to talk about that in just a bit. But if we get back to the word, and remember when we started tonight, I, I said that you know God is really calling us back to his word, uh, his word as the standard, his word as uh, the source of revelation of who he is. It's what the word says, and the word is clearly showing us here that unity is providential. It is something that uh, is on the heart of God. It's who God is. Unity is so important, and it's it, it pervades the scriptures. It's in Genesis, as we see at the very beginning, uh, and uh, it's all the way to Revelation, which is where we'll go next, because now I want to talk about unity, not in the pre-church age or the present church age, but in the perpetual age to come. And so let's go to Revelation. Sorry, this, this chapter always gets me a little, a little filled up. It talks about Jesus being worthy the only one worthy to open the scroll because he's the lamb who was slain. Hallelujah. Verse 8. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals 
you were slain. And you have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. I really just wanted to focus on uh, verse 8. Because what we see there is that it says the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb and worshipped him. So that scene in heaven in this perpetual age to come. We see unification of worship of the Lamb by the elders there in heaven. Let's jump to verse 11. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them, meaning the angels, was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Say with a loud voice. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. We see this unity there with the angels. We see the unity of worship of the lamb by the angels. We saw unity worshiping the lamb by the elders by the 24 elders, and now we see the unity of worship of the Lamb by the angels. But there's another piece to it. Let's go to Revelation 7. So then John writes, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, get me again, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. In this, these verses, the unified worship of the Lamb by who? By the saints in heaven. And it's people from every tribe and tongue, every nation, every tribe and tongue in unity, worshiping the Lamb of God. The saints will be in the perpetual age there worshiping the Lamb of God. So we see unity being providential in uh, the future uh, perpetual age. We see unity of worship of the Lamb by the elders, by the angels, and by the saints. And then they're doing it all together. So unity we see from the beginning in Genesis, all the way to Revelation, unity is providential. It's something that is really on the heart of God. Okay, so that's really point number one. Unity is providential. Uh, let's transition now to our next big, bigger um, topic would be uh, unity is possible. Unity is possible. So 
let's let's be honest here. We certainly know that disunity is possible. The first major barrier to unity um, that, that I see in the scripture is really that thing, that ugly thing called pride. Pride. Pride is the thing that disrupted the unity that was in heaven before we were certainly here on the earth. I've never been able to find an instance in the word of God where pride is a good thing. Um, you know, so many of us, when we have moments in our lives, we like to say, oh, I'm so proud of you, or I'm this, that, or the other. And uh, sometimes my family gets annoyed with me because, like, I don't, I don't tell my sons that I'm proud of them. They know I love them. And I'm pleased with them a lot of times. But I don't like to say I'm proud of you because spiritually pride is never good. I think about when Jesus was being baptized. He comes up out of the water. Spirit descends upon him in the form of a dove. And the father speaks, this is my beloved son. And what does he say? He says, in whom I'm well pleased. He, he doesn't say, I'm proud of you, Jesus. I'm proud of you, son. There, there's something about pride that is so offensive to God's very nature that it's not good. And I think it's because it was that sin of pride that caused the original disruption of unity in heaven. Another thing that we see in the scripture that uh, is a barrier to unity is partiality. Partiality, showing uh, partiality uh, could be on many different uh, levels, but uh, let's, let's, re let's read what James says, James 2, 1 through 9. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit there at my footstool, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Partiality, I guess it's really somewhat related to pride, too, now that I think about it. But, but when we show partiality within the body of Christ, it's a, it's a barrier to unity. And, and the partiality, um, I think, yes, James identifies it in terms of... Um, you know, showing favor uh, to to people who have money uh, versus people who are are poor. 
And there, there are so many other applications of of this of this principle or this idea. I mean, th think about it. If, if if you're the member of a of a church, and I've thought about this, uh, having pastored a church in in DC, um, and I never got around to it, but I had thought about it. I, I had a, I thought uh, at one point of maybe inviting uh, then Vice President Pence uh, to our church one time. Uh, but we were going through renovations and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then actually I wasn't, wasn't, um, and then, and then they walked the election. So he wasn't, he was no longer in office, but, you know, knowing that he's uh, a Christian, I was going to invite him to our church. And, and I've thought about it sometimes. It's like, so, so if he would have come in there with the secret service, where do you think we would have sat him? I, I wouldn't have sat him in the pulpit. I would not have done that. But and even that, right? Even that is is partiality. Another barrier to unity is poor communication and presumption about other people. Um, and so, if you have time, uh, go to Joshua twenty-two. Uh, there's a story in there about how when they were crossing over uh, into the Promised Land, uh, two and a half tribes were up in the the northern eastern i guess part uh, of the jordan um and then the other tribes would be west of the jordan and then towards the south right the two and a half tribes build an altar and then the other nine and a half tribes hear about them building this altar that wasn't in shiloh where where worship was supposed to be had at that point uh and and they were about to go to war because they thought they had built a profane altar up where the other two and a half tribes were. So to make a long story short, once they communicated with each other, they realized, oh, you really did have a legitimate reason for why you did this. And it's not something that um, God would necessarily be displeased with. Okay, so now, now we're not going to go to war. Imagine if they had not communicated at all about what, what this real issue was. The tribes would not have been unified, even though they were coming into the land of promise at that time. All the time, they're 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 they leave Egypt, they go through the wilderness years, and here they are finally coming to the promised land, and immediately they're about to be um, they're they're not going to be unified. Why? Because the one the the one group didn't know what the other was doing. Poor communication disrupts things in the body of Christ so many times, so many times. Uh, and, and so I think as we talk about unity uh, being something that uh, is is possible, it does help to first identify some of these things that are barriers to unity. So um, pride, partiality, and poor communication we see as barriers to unity in the scripture. But we don't want to focus on that. We want to focus on the fact that unity is, in fact, possible. Unity is possible. Despite the uh, existence of disunity, unity is possible. Uh, the, the easiest way, I think, of, of proving that is with God, all things are possible. With God, nothing is impossible. So because unity is providential, because it is something that uh, is, is, is in God's nature, uh, and because it's something that is is in God's heart then that means unity is in fact 
possible. It's possible because it's the providential plan of the Father. Those are the things we were talking about. We see it in creation. We saw it in the call of Abram. We saw it in the conception of Jesus. We saw it in, on that day of Pentecost. We saw it in Paul's letters. We saw it in Revelation. If unity is the providential plan of the Father, then that means unity is possible. But unity is not something that that just is. Unity does. Unity is really um, an active thing. It speaks. It does. Unity, in other words, is something that is practical. Uh, but the pursuit of unity uh, has to be something that we do because unity, in fact, is a practical thing. Unity, first, I'll note, it respects diversity. Unity respects diversity. Uh, most people think that, well, uh, if you've got a bunch of different things going on, that's a symptom of disunity. Uh, but in the body of Christ, we have come to understand that the scripture looks at it differently. The scripture would say that in, in, in a very real way, diversity, at least in the spirit, diversity is something that is respectful. Unity respects diversity. If we look at 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, uh, we see the, the spiritual gifts. We see that there are different gifts, but the same Lord, the same spirit distributes these gifts. We are all one body, even though there are different gifts given. He doesn't just give one gift to every person that's the same. He gives different gifts to different people all in one body. So just because there are some uh, instances of, of, of diversity, it doesn't mean that that's necessarily an indication of a lack of unity. Let's consider uh, briefly the, the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. You know, that story is about reaching across cultural and ethnic barriers uh, to help someone in need. It's, it's, it's unifying humanity based on the compassion, the love of fellow human beings. Unity is something that requires us to reach out and usually to reach out to people who are different from us. Unity is something that does not sit still. It reaches out. It is indeed a practical thing. Um, I would also say that uh, I'm getting ready to transition here to something, uh, but I would say before I before I um, stop these uh, talking about these notes that I have, uh, we talked about partiality. Uh, unity rebukes partiality. We've already seen that, uh, but unity also involves repentance and reconciliation. Repentance and reconciliation. Um, you know, we think about the prodigal son when when he became reunited with his father. Repentance was a big part of that. He came to himself and and said, "Wow, I have sinned against heaven. I've sinned against my father. I've got to go back and 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 tell him I, I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against I've sinned against God." In other words, repentance before that unification 
came, before unity was restored in that family, repentance was required. So, so real unity in a practical sense involves repentance. Repentance is something that is needed in order to get to that place of unity. So unity really is a practical thing. It's something that we have to do. It's something that, that is active. So if anyone wants to share any thoughts, um, any feedback about uh, tonight's teaching, please feel free to do so. That was so poignant to me to hear you say that when he said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased and just acknowledging. I've always thought when I've said to my kids, I'm proud of you for this, something has always just sort of not sat with me right because I've thought that same thing. It's like pride's not a good thing. Like I, I, I'm going to change that in me today because of what you've taught tonight in just changing my words, you know, to I'm so pleased by that. You know, that's blessed my heart, whatever it is, but it's not going to be pride for me. I'm, um, I really have, I just, I appreciate your teaching in that. And then everything you said, like the points you made on pointing out the things that block us from unity, the partiality and poor communication, you know, it's just, again, it's even something in business, you know, it's businesses fail because of that same thing. Communication is so key. And it's really not hard to do. It's really just making a practice of making sure we're effectively sharing things other people can't know unless we talk to them, you know? And so just consistent habits with our brethren that we're communicating um, so that we can have unity. And even when we are communicating, making sure that they heard it the way we said it, you know, it's just no different than a husband and wife relationship. Sometimes people hear you differently and you didn't mean for something to sound a certain way. So even taking the time with our brothers and sisters in Christ to somehow, you know, mend the fences and make sure that what we said was what they heard and so forth, you know, so that relationship can be maintained well. But I also wanted to point out one thing from Ephesians four, when you brought that scripture out, it says, it's talking about the gifts, you know, and it says, you know, that he's given these gifts. The responsibility of the gifts is to equip God's people to do his work is what it says and build up the church, the body of Christ. Then it goes on and it says, I just want to point out some things because I think it's the key to what you're asking is how do we get unity and what keeps us from unity? And it tells us here in the scripture, it says that this will continue. So what is this that will continue? It's the equipping people to do his work through the gifts and that will build the church up. That's going to continue. It says until we all come to this unity in, and it tells us unity in what it says unity in our faith, number one, and knowledge of God's son. Those two things are what he's saying. He wants us to have unity in that we have unity in our faith, which is not just believing in Jesus but it's the righteousness of Abraham. It's the faith of Abraham where he believed everything that God said. It's a church that believes the word of God fully without being receiving that lie. Did God really say, you know, it's like believing what God said. So our unity in the faith, knowing that the word is the absolute truth and unity of the knowledge of God, which can only come through the word of God. That would just like what you said, how you started, that we are a group of believers that are meditating upon and believing and using this word as our standard. And then it goes on to tell us, so here's the reason for the unity and the faith and the knowledge, so that we'll be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. This is his standard. And then it says, then 
we will no longer be immature. So that's the reason for our lack of unity is our immaturity in our faith. It's our immaturity in the word, and it's our immaturity in the faith because of our lack of understanding of the word. It's the same thing that Jesus said when he said to the Pharisees who were asking him stupid questions, and he's like, the problem is you don't understand the word of God and the power. You know, and so this is the same problem we have today as a body, but it's like the more that we are consistent in this word at together, you know, and we're being built up in our faith with the, these things are bringing us into the maturity, into the fullness, into the meeting the standard of Christ. And then it says, after this, then we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. That's the diversity that you were talking about. And it helps the other parts grow. Those other diversity, those other parts doing their thing helps the other parts of the body grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. It's the whole key to our unity is really just our maturity and our loving and continuing in this word. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for this word tonight, Bernie. Praise the Lord. You know, Chrissy, you just said a couple of things that were really um, jumping out of me, which is uh, essentially, you know, especially the Ephesians part, you know, he says, until we come to that place of unities. And if you, if you couple that with what John 17 is him praying to the father for unity, Jesus is acknowledging this, this is a process. Getting to that place of unity is going to be a process that the body has to really strive for. It was so much of uh, a thing that he had to pray it to the Father, praying for it. Um, so yeah, it, it's a process, um, but it's obviously something that's achievable. As I was sitting with the Lord this morning, I asked him, I said, do you have a word for the body of Christ tonight when I'm on Bible study? And would you tell me where you are in your heart or what's on your heart right now, Lord, and help me to pray? And he said to me, Psalm 133, well, I don't know all the Psalms. <laughs> I know you'd love this, Bernie. So I went to it and went, okay. And so I'm just going to read that. Blessed unity of the people of God. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon, descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life evermore, forevermore. For me, what I received in this is a wake-up call, a wake-up call for uh, the churches that are not united, because I, I know that they, there is a remnant who is united in Christ. And only in those bodies that are united do we see the power of God moving. I mean, we look at uh, what happened in the upper room. Jesus gave them a commandment. And in obeying that commandment to go and wait upon the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit came with power. And so 
as the Holy Spirit came with power, we know that on that day, 5,000 were won to the body of Christ. And to me, that is a serious, serious wake-up call um, to the church at large, why it is important to be united in the body. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Now, I'd like for us to look at this and say, okay, these are the parts of the human element that prevent the work of God to move forward. When we act in selfish ambition and in conceit, those things hinder the unity we are to have in the body, which brings forth the power of God and the power of God is able to move. Uh, but he, what does he tell us? To, to, to be loneliness in mind, letting each other esteem others better than themselves. If for us to do that, I have noticed, Pastor Bernie, as you speak of pride, you know, pride would always have you exalt yourself amongst in the midst of other people so that you, people can look at you and, and, and give you that honor, the honor of men, the, the, the praises of men, uh, the, the adorations of men. Th these things are, are really hindrance and, and pride really will hinder you from being lonely, esteeming others higher than yourself. Verse 5 now tells us, it gives us a comparison of Jesus' status and what he did to his status to fulfill God's mission. It says that he didn't consider it robbery when he laid aside his deity so that he could humble himself before God, even to the point of death on the cross. And so if we compare those two things, Jesus had a status. He's the son of God. He is God. But he laid that aside, putting aside the pride to become like you and me in the likeness of men, meaning in, in human flesh, but you see, even in the story, that Jesus always went for the lowly people in life. He, he went for those that were forgotten in society. And for you to do that and be God saves a lot. When we take that picture and compare it to us, a lot of us have doctorate degrees. A lot of us have uh, what accomplishments in life we like to point to, to say that I have done this, so you know, hold me in high regard. A lot of us have those things in life. But how many of us are willing to lay that aside and say, I am going to become a bond servant of my Lord Jesus Christ, like Jesus was a bond servant of his father for the sake of winning the souls on this earth. So this type of unity, I believe one of the things that can really unite us is, to us to is for us to focus on the lost souls and what it takes to go and win the lost souls. Jesus gave us the template, and I believe we can follow the same thing. Amen. As we're pursuing unity, and you, you you brought up John 17, and I just want to direct us back to that verse where in 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world will, may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Our friend Arnie Klein in Israel made a statement and out of that verse that I think is really applicable as we're talking about unity and he was saying you know a lot of times we we try to go after it horizontally and he said the first thing we have to realize is that you know the glory that god gave yeshua he's given to us it's his glory that's a vertical we love because we were first loved like he laid his life down for us as we all corporately pursue his glory. That will create oneness. 
as we decide together to lock in and go after his glory together. Um, and a lot of times trying to pursue unity without his glory, you know, we're, we're basically trying to, to foster agreement on topics and issues and, you know, but when I love what you're saying, Bernie, if we can agree on Jesus is the son of the living God and we need to stand on the word of God and, and, and the gospel of the kingdom, which is, is built upon reconciliation, reconciliation of all things to God through Christ and reconciliation, every tribe and tongue, Jew and Gentile united uh, in, in the lamb. And so that vertical, his glory cling, clinging to him together will make us one. We have to lay down our identities. We have to lay down our ambitions. We have to die to ourself. If we haven't yet, it's probably because at somewhere we haven't yet grasped the revelation of his sacrifice at the depths of our being, what he did for us. Um, as uh, Brother Terrence, you know, read from Philippians there, all that he sacrificed and all that he laid aside in order to bring us into uh, this oneness. So amazing time together tonight. Bless y'all. Uh, Nicole uh, Robine, if you are uh, with Jed, if you can pray us out tonight. Um, and as you're praying, uh, please let's, Let's remember to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and uh, for for the the people of Israel. Um, and yeah, and, and how the Lord leads you, of course, but please include that. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Daddy, we just um, just so grateful for how you love us. Thank you, Father, that you gave your only son for us. And Father, I just, I pray that we would have your kind of love. We don't have it in us. We only have it by your spirit. Father, I pray that we would see one another through your eyes. That your glory that you gave Yeshua would bring us into one heart and one mind. That the whole world would know who you are. Father, forgive us when our lack of love and our arrogance and pride keeps us from representing you. And Daddy, I want to just pray in particular for the Jewish people. Father, we just again stand before you and as a Gentile church, we just ask your forgiveness for our lack of love for the ways that we've so misrepresented your heart for your people.
Father, give us your love for your people. Help us not to fail that test of love of laying down our lives for you. And Daddy, we do just agree with your heart, the longing of your heart. That you would have your inheritance, your family, your children from every tribe and every tongue. Worshiping around the throne of your son. So, Father, as we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we don't pray for a super official peace. We pray for the return of Yeshua. We pray for the peace that comes from his presence and his leadership. From knowing, from knowing him. Father, help us to have your heart. Help these to not just be powerful words tonight, but that we can live them. Change us by your spirit. Maybe not just be hearers of your word, but doers of it. And we pray this in the amazing name of Yeshua. Our soon coming king. Amen. 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 Amen.